There are no talking beasts up beyond the falls, up in the western wild. The skin must have belonged to a dumb, wild lion. All the same, Shift, said Puzzle. Even if the skin only belonged to a dumb, wild lion, oughtn't we to give it a decent burial? I mean, aren't all lions rather, well, rather solemn, because of you-know-who? Don't you see? Don't you start getting ideas into your head, Puzzle, said Shift, because you know thinking's not your strong point. We'll make this skin into a fine, warm winter coat for you. I don't think it would be respectful to the great lion, to ask lion himself, if an ass like me went about dressed up in a lion's skin, said Puzzle. Now don't start arguing, please, said Shift. What does an ass like you know about things of that sort? You know you're no good at thinking, Puzzle, so why don't you let me do your thinking for you? Oh, well, of course, if you put it that way, said Puzzle. I tell you what, said Shift. You'd better take a good brisk trot down river as far as Chippingford. See if they have any oranges or bananas. As soon as he was alone, Shift went shambling along, sometimes on two paws and sometimes on four, till he reached his own tree. Then he swung himself up from branch to branch, chattering and grinning all the time, and went into his little house. He found needle and thread and a big pair of scissors there, for he was a clever ape, and the dwarfs had taught him how to sew. Then he came down the tree and shambled across to the lion skin. He squatted down and got to work. Late in the afternoon, Puzzle came back. He was not trotting, but only plodding patiently along the way donkeys do. There weren't any oranges, he said, and there weren't any bananas, and I'm very tired. He lay down. Come and try on your beautiful new lion skin coat, said Shift. Oh, bother that old skin, said Puzzle. I'll try it on in the morning. I'm too tired tonight. You are unkind, Puzzle. If you're tired, what do you think I am? All day long, while you've been having a lovely refreshing walk down the valley, I've been working hard to make you a coat. And now you won't say thank you. And you won't even look at the coat. And you don't care. And, and... My dear Shift, said Puzzle, getting up at once, I am so sorry. I've been horrid. Of course, I'd love to try it on. Well, stand still then, said the ape. The skin was very heavy for him to lift, but in the end he got it onto the donkey. He tied it underneath Puzzle's body and the tail to Puzzle's tail. A good deal of Puzzle's grey nose and face could be seen through the open mouth of the lion's head. No one who had ever seen a real lion would have been taken in for a moment. But if someone who had never seen a lion looked at Puzzle in his lion's skin, he just might mistake him for a lion if he didn't come too close and if the light was not too good. You look wonderful, wonderful, said the ape. If anyone saw you now, they'd think you were Aslan, the great lion himself. That would be dreadful, said Puzzle. No, it wouldn't, said Shift. Everyone would do whatever you told them. But I don't want to tell them anything. But think of the good we could do, said Shift. You'd have me to advise you, you know. I'd think of sensible orders for you to give, and everyone would have to obey us, even the king himself. We would set everything right in Narnia. Well, then that's settled. You will pretend to be Aslan, and I'll tell you what to say. No, 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 said Puzzle. Don't say such dreadful things. It would be wrong, Shift. What would become of us if the real Aslan turned up? I expect he'd be very pleased, said Shift. Probably he sent us the lion skin on purpose, so that we could set things to right. Anyway, he never does turn up, you know. Not nowadays. At that moment came a great thunderclap right overhead, and the ground trembled with a small earthquake. 
Both the animals lost their balance and were flung on their faces. There, gasped Puzzle, as soon as he had breath to speak. It's a sign, a warning. I knew we were doing something dreadfully wicked. Take this wretched skin off me at once. No, no, said the ape, whose mind worked very quickly. It's a sign the other way. I was just going to say that if the real Aslan, as you call him, meant us to go on with this, he would send us a thunderclap and an earth tremor. It was just on the tip of my tongue. Only the sign itself came before I could get the words out. You've got to do it now, Puzzle, and please don't let us have any more arguing. What could a donkey know about signs? About three weeks later, the last of the kings of Narnia sat under the great oak which grew beside the door of his little hunting lodge, where he often stayed for ten days or so in the pleasant spring weather. He loved to live there simply and at ease, away from the state and pomp of Ter Paravel, the royal city. His name was King Tyrian. He had blue eyes and a fearless, honest face, and he was between twenty and twenty-five years old. There was no one with him that spring morning except his dearest friend, Jewel the Unicorn. They loved each other like brothers, and each had saved the other's life in the wars. I cannot set myself to any work or sport today, Jewel, said the king. I can think of nothing but this wonderful news. Think you we shall hear any more of it today? They are the most wonderful tidings ever heard in our days, or our father's or our grandfather's days, sire, said Jewel, if they are true. How can they choose but be true, said the king. It is more than a week ago that the first birds came flying over us saying, Aslan is here. Aslan has come to Narnia again. Indeed, sire, answered Jewel, I believe it all. If I seem not to, it is only that my joy is too great to let my belief settle itself. It is almost too beautiful to believe. But listen. What is it? asked the king. Hoofs, sire, said Jewel, a galloping horse, a very heavy horse. It must be one of the centaurs. A great golden-bearded centaur, with man's sweat on his forehead and horse's sweat on his chestnut flanks, dashed up to the king, stopped and bowed low. Hail, king, it cried in a voice as deep as a bull's. Ho there, said the king, looking over his shoulder towards the door of the hunting lodge, a bowl of wine for the noble centaur. Welcome, Runewit. I drink first to Aslan and truth, sire, and secondly to your majesty. Now, Runewit, said the king, do you bring us more news of Aslan? Runewit looked very grave, frowning a little. Sire, he said, you know how long I have lived and studied the stars. Never in all my days have I seen such terrible things written in the skies as there have been nightly since this year began. The stars say nothing of the coming of Aslan nor of peace, nor of joy. I know by my art that some great evil hangs over Narnia. But last night the rumor reached me that Aslan is abroad in Narnia. Sire, do not believe this tale. It cannot be. The stars never lie, but men and beasts do. If Aslan were really coming to Narnia, all the most gracious stars would be assembled in his honor. It is all a lie. A lie? said the king fiercely. What creature in Narnia or all the world would dare to lie on such a matter? That I know not, Lord King, said the centaur. But I know there are liars on earth. There are none among the stars. I wonder, said Jewel, whether Aslan might not come, though all the stars foretold otherwise. He is not the slave of the stars, but their maker. 
Is it not said in all the old stories that he is not a tame lion? Well said, well said, Joel, cried the king. Those are the very words, not a tame lion. It comes in many tales. Runewit had just raised his hand and was leaning forward to say something very earnestly to the king when all three of them turned their heads to listen to a wailing sound that was quickly drawing nearer. Whoa, 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 called the voice. Woe for my brothers and sisters, woe for the holy trees. The axe is loosed against us, we are being felled. Great trees are falling, falling, falling. With the last falling, the speaker came in sight. She was like a woman, but so tall that her head was on a level with the centaurs. Yet she was like a tree, too. King Tyrian and the two beasts knew at once that she was a dryad and the nymph of a beech tree. Justice, Lord King, she cried. Come to our aid. Protect your people. They are felling us in lantern waste. What, lady? Felling lantern waste? Murdering the talking trees? Cried the king. How dare they? And who dares it? Now by the mane of Aslan. Ah, 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 gasped the dryad, shuddering as if in pain. Shuddering time after time, as if under repeated blows. Then, all at once... She fell sideways as suddenly as if both her feet had been cut from under her. For a second they saw her lying dead on the grass, and then she vanished. They knew what had happened. Her tree, miles away, had been cut down. For a moment the king's grief and anger were so great that he could not speak. Then he said, Come, friends, we must go up river and find the villains who have done this with all the speed we may. I will leave not one of them alive. Sire, with a good will, said Jewel. But Runewit said, Sire,